This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Life of a play-by-play announcer sometimes. Welcome back into Play-by-Play Cast, everybody. My name is Joel Godet. This is, I believe, episode 20. I can probably check that, but I am quite literally driving a car right now. So, for safety reasons... I'm not going to do that. Uh, Welcome back into the podcast, though. Thanks for hitting subscribe or download. As always, you can hit us up on Twitter. The uh, podcast's Twitter feed is at PXPCast. My Twitter feed is at my name, at J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. Let us know you're listening, what you like, what you didn't like, uh, who you'd like to have on the show, if you'd like to be on the show. And uh, if you like the show, go ahead and leave us uh, a review, a rating, whatnot, uh, and tell a friend. Share this uh, on Twitter. Share it with uh, your friends on Facebook. Uh, just tell a guy you work with. Tell a guy you walk down the street uh, that you've been listening to Play by Playcast, that you find it interesting, and that, uh, hey, they might find it interesting as well. Uh, anyway, that all being said, I am currently driving a car while recording this. Um, I feel like it's pretty safe. I've got one hand on the wheel, which, let's be honest, is really, uh, you know, anything anybody has on the wheel. Um, usually the other hand is by your side or on the the, the the median thing in the car, the divider thing, I, or, or, I don't know, whatever. Uh, so we're good. We're safe. I can see everybody. There's nobody else on the road, so I don't really have to worry about that. Um, but I'm driving to Ypsilanti, Michigan right now from Muncie, Indiana for Ball State Eastern Michigan Women's Volleyball on ESPN3. That comes out, uh, well, if you're listening to this podcast on time, uh, this afternoon. It's a 12 o'clock first serve, and uh, found out about this thing late Tuesday afternoon. Didn't really have time to prep it Tuesday, so prepped it a little bit Wednesday night, most of it Wednesday night, and uh, still have some work to do when I get to the hotel uh, tonight up in Ypsilanti, uh, which also includes putting this podcast together, but I've got to fill out some of my notes onto my chart as well, and then get to some studying uh, work up, get a workout in tomorrow, wake up, get a workout in tomorrow, uh, maybe in the morning, and then uh, then go uh, to the Convocation Center in Ypsilanti at Eastern Michigan and call some Ball State Eastern Michigan Volleyball. Where it's interesting, and this is where I think this is going to be an interesting challenge today, if you're bored and have nothing else to do at noon, uh, feel free to tune in on E3. Uh, I, I'm employed by Ball State University uh, full-time. I, I do our football, our basketball, our baseball uh, and I do handle a handful of volleyball on E3. This game, <laughs> I'm being paid by Eastern Michigan. It's their, it's their deal. Uh, but because it's a noon day uh, or, or a noon serve, they didn't have their regular people for it. Um, so here I am. Uh, so I've, I've got to broadcast my team for somebody else. And kind of you're supposed to be down the middle but i mean at the end of the day eastern michigan's cutting the checks so you want to be a little bit in some respects a little bit homerish toward them a little bit um so, so that'll be an interesting challenge we'll see how it goes uh, that being said it's actually a pretty good lead-in because our guest on the podcast today 
is a guy by the name of Jason Knapp. Uh, Jason Knapp does a lot of different things, from CBS Sports Network to the Pac-12 Networks to, uh, well, really notably, uh, he does the Olympics on NBC. And at the Olympics does anything from curling, which is unbelievably cultishly popular, um, to wrestling. Um, and he does beach volleyball. And Jason's an interesting guy. He's a Syracuse guy. We've known each other uh, going back to to when I was in college. Um, But what makes Jason really interesting for me personally to talk to is that he does the wrestling and he does the volleyball. And uh, I've dabbled in some volleyball and for Eastern Michigan last year handled some gymnastics and wrestling on television. And if you ask me what I know about gymnastics and wrestling... I know that uh, Sean Johnson was a gymnast. I know that Allie Raceman is a gymnast, and she's Jewish, proud tribe. Um, and uh, that's about it. I know that I know that you're supposed to swing around on the pommel horse, although that's men's. Um, that's that's about it. So, and when it comes to wrestling, I, I know Hulk Hogan. I know Seth Rollins. Uh, a huge fan of AJ Styles, but I, I that's not the same thing. So, so. Uh, broadcasting those two sports was a little bit of an adventure last year and really volleyball was the the first time I'd really dug my teeth into volleyball I'd done it a little bit before but not the way that I did it last year and again this year Uh, and it was different it was an adventure um, and it's very different than calling your quote-unquote conventional sports your your revenue sports football basketball baseball to an extent Um, so it was a different challenge and Jason is a guy that uh, as much as you can master those challenges, uh, master has, has mastered those challenges. Uh, very good at what he does with volleyball, with wrestling, heck with curling. Um, so it was fun to talk to, to Jason about television in general, about broadcasting in general, but also about what he does with those smaller niche sports. So uh, without further ado, uh, Jason Knapp from the Pac-12 Network, CBS Sports uh, Networks, and uh, the NBC Olympics in Rio uh, Jason Knapp is our guest this week here on Play by Playcast. I'm in Syracuse. Um, I'm, I'm a student in between my junior and senior year. I go uh, and I'm part of the first sports broadcasting class in school. And the university does a great job of, you know, just giving you all the foundation you need. But it's up to you to kind of jump on the bandwagon and, and see where it takes you. Uh, so I was doing, you know, play by play and sportscast at AER. And then I got an internship at Channel 5 in Syracuse in between my junior and senior year. I had had one in Philly the summer before, I think, um, where I'm from. Uh, and then the sports director at the station I was at was Mike Tirico. He's a Syracuse guy and an AR guy and only a few years older than us. But he seemed like he was like he is now. He, he's He's been that good, at least to me, that whole time. And you could see he was, you know, destined to be great. But a lot of the things that he's good at now he's always been good at he's the most organized detail oriented just smooth personality there is and it was so great to kind of learn how to put together even just a three or four minute sports cast but beyond that the planning and thinking ahead and anticipation of what could come and he was great um he left for espn john eaves who was the other sports guy there left in a short amount of time and I had just graduated by that time. It's a year past. Um, and I just started filling in there um, to get some shifts. I actually got some tape. They were never going to hire me full time. I was still too green 
Uh, I needed to go somewhere and just kind of do it for a long time. And that's what I did. I went to uh, West Virginia. I was in Clarksburg, West Virginia for a little over two years. And then I went back to um, Scranton, Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. And I worked for two stations there uh, for a little over a decade. But I'd always had the itch to get back into play by play and started to be able to do that. And then uh, since 2006, I've just strictly been um, a play-by-play guy, but I really started to dip my toe back into play-by-play about 2000 or so. How did you become like the 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 all-star niche guy and uh, in, in being able to do so many different sports and do them well enough that, I mean, you, you, you've dug into wrestling and, and volleyball and, I mean, to be able to get yourself on, I imagine it's opened a lot of doors and a lot of different networks and it's opened certainly the Olympic doors for you. Um, but how did you get in especially when you start doing the play-by-play avenue, as you mentioned, I mean, going kind of full-time into it in 2006, you would think you'd go like basketball or football, those types of things. Was it that going the Olympic route was the the, the better foot in the door for you? Well, again, when I came out, one of the reasons I did local when I got out of school was there wasn't, you know, an avenue. All these games weren't just being online. You know, you know, you didn't have a lot of, other sports being done, but there even wasn't the variety of basketball or football that's on where every game seemingly is available to be streamed or online or, or somewhere. So when I was starting to do freelancing, um, my station that I worked at in Scranton, Wilkesbury, we started to do minor league hockey. I was a part of the part of those broadcasts. And then, um, I worked on, uh, something for the company that put those together and I met a guy that day um, who was one of the people helping start CSTV, College Sports Television, which is now, um, after a few name changes, what's known as uh, CBS Sports Network. And for me, just getting my foot in the door, when CSTV was started, it was started by guys who just wanted to feature Olympic sports because they said football and basketball are on TV all the time. And originally their process was, hey, we're going to put on volleyball and wrestling. Chris Bevelock, one of the guys that started the network, was a great wrestler and, you know, at Penn State. And he he wanted to see that sport on television some more. So when I got my foot in the door, I was at a place where big sports were kind of the norm. So I started doing volleyball and wrestling and all these things. And that was a way that I could get into play-by-play. And it's allowed me to do football. It's allowed me to do basketball. But over the course of time, you know, for me, just trying to jump in and learn how to do all those things has been, you know, kind of beneficial. Um, and for me, I really, I really do enjoy it. Um, there's nothing like seeing two teams compete at a high level, no matter what it is. And no matter what the level is, I mean, if it's for, you know, like a high school championship, there's a lot riding, there's a lot invested in that game. If it's a conference championship, a national championship, an Olympic championship. To me, I try to prep the same for all of them. And at that moment, the people that are, you know, kind of on the field of play, that's their highest moment. You really want to make sure that you, you know, do it justice and hopefully have done that over the years. How do you prep for a new sport uh, or or something you've never called or never seen? Um, How much talking of or picking of brains do you do and how much reading of books and kind of what was your process then? And and I guess, how's it morphed today? Um, I, you know, it's been, it's definitely been a work in progress. 
um, in doing a lot of different things. I, I think the basic thing is, is that I think at first I wanted to know everything. And that to me is a little dangerous. Um, because I have an analyst that knows everything about that sport in and out right to my side. So I don't want to know super everything. I, I do think it's good to have great working knowledge and understanding rules and understanding backstories and understanding personalities and people and what is at stake for them. Um, and, you know, but as far as kind of getting into, you know, what should happen in situations, just like it would be in anything else, that's an analyst role. But I do want to kind of just delve in. I'm a prep guy. So when I get to an event, you know, I want to have, 80 to 90 percent of it done and then kind of finish it up by talking to people and and getting, you know, a little more personal stories if I haven't been able to chat with them before. But, you know, I I used to go crazy about I need to know what you know what this is. And if I'm doing a rugby, you know, what's that? What's the proper term for that? And, you know, at some point you drive yourself crazy. But at this point, I think is, you know, you want to ensure that you're on top of everything that's important and really kind of guide your analyst and, and, and putting them in a, into a, you know, the best position to succeed too. If I can ask you about wrestling in that vein in particular, um, I called wrestling for the first time ever um, last year, and I've got a couple more this year. Um, but to me, like wrestling was always Hulk Hogan, which is like very frowned upon in that, that sport, obviously. Um, so when I was trying to figure out what to do and what to say, I was trying to, look at maneuvers and be able to identify certain things so that I could call them out. And if I see a Granby, be able to see, say it's a Granby. Um, how much of that did you concern yourself with just from the basic knowledge of being able to point things out to people um, versus how much did you just try to keep it as simple as possible and not get yourself into trouble? Um, I, I think you want to uh, be careful. And again, you know, you want to look for certain things that have certain things, you know, you're comfortable with that. I always think for a play-by-play guy, that's a comfort level too. And after doing more of a lot of what the right terminology is, you know, I'm a believer of if you're not sure, don't do it, you know? And then a lot of times your analyst with them long enough, they can kind of jump in and you know, sometimes we get so caught on terminology um, in TV when, you know, people are, are watching, you know, they understand what, what's going on. They can see, you know, that maneuver. And if they're adept enough, um, you know, in, in the sport, they know it was a grand B. And if they don't, they still can see what the result of that move was. Um, so I don't get caught up too much in terminology and TV. I think it's really critical would be very more important if you were doing radio clearly um, to kind of have that descriptive maneuver. Um, but I think TV, you can kind of let the pictures tell a lot more of the story. Blank canvas. How do you call a wrestling meet? Uh, I think, you know, a lot of it. So <laughs> it's, it depends. Um, you know, you can, if you're just doing a dual meet and you've got, you know, uh, your 10 bouts and you're ready to go, um, you can kind of really hone in and and be prepped and have um, all of those, you know, bouts and have, you know, all of your information ready to go, your in-depth story. Because usually, you know, even if 
um, say in the college ranks, the guy might have, you know, coach might have one or two guys that are ready to go and maybe they'll give you an inkling, but still you've got it whittled down. What gets challenging is uh, when you do a tournament or when you do uh, something like Olympic trials or the Olympics, when you've got, um, you know, 20 guys that start the day at a weight class, you have no idea they're unseated. You have no idea who could come out of the pack. You have a rough idea. And then trying to generate nuggets on that. Um, that is a challenge. I, you know, first in London and then in Rio, it is, uh, it's a re- <laughs> those are really challenging days. I'm toast. I mean, I was, I was, I was just, I was mentally done after, uh, after eight days of Rio because, you know, you've got three or four weight classes a day. It's a one day competition and you're trying to just get information on people and, we go through, we don't call every bout for what we do, but we kind of call some things in case we need them. Um, you know, in, in London, a lot of things we did were on tape and then they were turned around in short order. And in Rio, we had a similar thing, but more often than not, they called and said, Hey, by the way, you're going live. And it's really hard because a lot of times in TV, you know, if you're doing Super Bowl and NFL game, TV controls when they start play. At the Olympics, TV does not control when they start. They control when they start. So it's tough sometimes to kind of generate so you don't have necessarily a lot of dead air. So it made for, for challenging times. And plus, to turn around and be like, trying to find research. We didn't think he was going to do anything. Trying to find the research and the backstories so you can kind of set the scene the right way. It, uh, it gets to be interesting grind. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're the first guy we've had on that's that's done Olympic work uh, on the podcast. Uh, what's what's that like? Uh, I, obviously, there's the hectic stuff, but um, what's it like being an Olympic broadcaster and being on? I mean, I, d- what do you do? What's the whole process like? Uh, I, it's just such a large thing to wrap your head around. Yeah, uh, it's um, you know the one the one great benefit is you know I'm, I'm fortunate to work for a lot of a lot of networks and a lot of companies and they all have talented, great people, research people at NBC sports in the Olympics ready for the Olympics is exhaustive. You know, the, the research from NBC is terrific. In the last four years, I was fortunate to kind of do um, all the shows for USA wrestling. Um, so I have a great kind of, you know, working database, but I get a booklet from NBC about 250 pages for wrestling. Uh, beach volleyball was about 185, um, and it's got bios and different things um, to kind of get you started. Um, but just to get into that, and then you understand what's at stake, and then trying to just find storylines, and and regardless of whether it's an American, which is a a great thing, but for anybody to have the ability to wrestle for their country and for a medal um, for their highest honor, it's just terrific, and it, it, you really um, it's really, it's the best thing that I'll do. I've been fortunate to do three now. I hope they continue to ask me. Um, and I hope that I do them until I can't do them anymore. It's, uh, it's my favorite thing to do. And it's, it's, uh, it's a thrill. It's, it really is. You just, you know, they always like to say, you're going to love doing this or you're not going to. And they say that for the fact that it's such a mental kind of grind going through it because the days are long. It's a lot going on. Um, and uh, it's not easy, but it's uh, it's certainly rewarding. What kind of access do you get during? I mean, do you how much do you get to talk to people, or uh, how much firsthand research gets done 
Um, especially language barriers thrown in there too, I imagine at some level. Yeah, there is. Um, for beach volleyball, um, you know, our, our compound was right in the venue. We had access to the practice courts and able to go out. And it's interesting being able to talk to uh, different athletes and trying to work through some of their, some of the language barriers. A lot of the teams have some passable English um, working with Dane Blanton, who won gold in 2000. You know, he, he certainly is a name and knows a lot of the players from covering the world tour, but it was funny. He knows passable Spanish, but trying to talk to um, say players that speak Portuguese, <laughs> which in Spanish don't exactly work, but trying to find common ground. But, you know, he might know somebody that knew them and it kind of opened some doors, but it was fun to kind of be able to talk to players, practice and workouts. And that's what we would try to do is go in a couple of days and warm ups and just, you know, talk to people and get personal stories and talk to them afterwards. But, you know, when you're doing four to five matches a day and just trying to get some sleep and go back and, and, and work with research and get stuff done, uh, you know, that's an endeavor. And then wrestling, you know, between sessions, we're able to kind of go and, <clears throat> and try to track down some wrestlers, predominantly a lot of times um, the U.S. wrestlers. And if we didn't get to talk to them, just talk to coaches, try to figure out where they're at, strategy, what kind of happened in the morning session, what did they need to do to kind of work their way through, depending on whether they are wrestling for a medal or not. And that, that seemed to be, that seemed to, you know, pay off really well and have some good storylines with a couple of the, uh, you know, gold medal performances for the U.S. and uh, in women's and, and men's freestyle. How many broadcasts are there as well? Because I, I, I have to imagine there's multiple different nations and things of that nature, right? Yeah, so with the Olympics, you know, NBC it has really kind of partnered up with the what's called the um, OBS Olympic Broadcasting um, Service. So I think starting in, <clears throat> uh, I may be wrong on this, but I believe it was 04 in Athens. There's so many, you know, events. And, you know, back in the day when, you know, whoever was doing the Olympics, whether CBS or ABC or NBC, you know, they would do the major sports. And then if something happened for an American in kind of a, um, uh, a sport, say like archery or judo, they would send a camera crew. They would shoot them, maybe have a shot of them performing, getting their medal, and then they would package it and they would roll it into the highlights. Well, now every single sport <clears throat> is broadcast by OBS, every event. So NBC is partnered with them and it allows them to kind of show events and they can you know expand their coverage for you know larger things like gymnastics and track and field and swimming um and then they can they can rely on that obs feed to show whether it's streaming or whether it's done um whether we use it for you know other certain sports to have coverage but it's a great partnership there so everything's available now and i think people really caught on with being able to stream stuff whether it's our announcers or the Olympic broadcast service announcers that you get on the streaming. But for us, you know, we had great opportunity to do a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff in beach, whether it was on MSNBC or CSN or, or NBC and, and the same thing for wrestling. And then we had a lot of time uh, on NBC and with some, some good coverage. So it was, uh, it's terrific. And, and, you know, for me, like in beach, I would do four to five matches, maybe a day. And then there was a second, there was another crew, the main crew, Chris Marlowe and Kevin Wong, kind of been the voices of the sport. They were kind of focused on a lot of the 
uh, American matches. So it was great for Dane and I. We got a lot of the Brazilian matches where the crowds were crazy, you know, 12,000 or so on the beach in Rio. I mean, I'll never call an event at a better venue than that, ever. I mean, it just won't happen. You know, you're looking out at the ocean, um, the crowd's going crazy. You know, the volleyball is really second only to soccer in popularity in Brazil. And the Brazilian teams are terrific and good, and the crowd's really invested. So there are some great memories. And, and wrestling as well. Wrestling really, um, you know, the crowd started to, to buy in. There were some, there were some uh, crazy moments, um, but some, you know, ultimately some uh, terrific uh, moments as well. How does one become, and this kind of goes back to, to where we started a little bit, but, but how does one become an Olympic broadcaster? Uh, I don't think there's <laughs> one answer. I mean, I think that's one of those things of, Especially because they're so niche. Yeah, but I, I just think that's one of those things of, you know, doing good work and being in the right spot at the right time when when the need came, you know, for me to get called by NBC to do um, to do wrestling and some other sports um, in London. And then, you know, I've continued to do uh, more work for NBC in the last four years and, and continuing to do some, uh, you know, a lot, I, I guess, here in the future. But sure. I just think for anybody, it's just, it, you know, their priority, like a lot of people is, is doing a good job. And, and I think one thing that you see in their coverage and that they pride themselves on, um, is not only documenting the action, but it's telling stories. Um, you know, the Olympics is the one time you see a lot of these athletes in four years and you can't just kind of roll them out there and yeah. say, here's this person and they're going for it. I mean, it's really important to kind of drive home what's at stake for them and how this is it's it's very easy and the audience can kind of catch up if it's Sidney Crosby in hockey or Peyton Manning in football they know these people you know they they, they feel like they're family because they see them every single week or now you see them every single day in highlights and sound bites but for some of these other people you're meeting them so in a short amount of time you've got to be able to set the table and meet them. I'll, I'll never forget when, when in London, I knew Jordan Burroughs um, who won gold in London and, you know, dominated the last four years and was upset at the Olympics in Rio, but in London, he was so good. And you just had you just had a feeling he was going to you know be able to wrestle for gold. And when he comes out wrestling bouts, essentially seven minutes. So you've got essentially eight minutes to try to tell someone's life story yeah. in, in, in the fact of while they're wrestling at high level. So that's not, you know, to me, that's a, that's a challenging, but ultimately a, a phenomenal task to be able to say, okay, here's what's going on. Here's why this is important. Here's who this person is. And here we go. Um, and you, you get to see a lot of people, that are really good at their craft. And if you look at that, like the Tarikos, the Costases, the, they're very good at being able to give you the information you need to know to buy in and then go. Um, and that's cool. So what's the trick? To being, and I hope what's the trick to being a good storyteller um, and, and getting it in concisely uh, and, and efficiently so that it, it comes out the right way. Yeah, that's that's another thing too. I think you know you, you, that's having the experience in your sport of when you can do it and when you can't. I mean, college football is so different now. 
you know, with, you know, used to be able to tell stories all the time because you knew they were going back to the huddle. You know, you, you got, <laughs> I've got 20, I've got 20 seconds. I've got 25 seconds. You know, John Johnson with a catch first down, by the way, now you can't, you know, it's, it's very, you know, doing football and telling stories is much more difficult. And what's happened now is people are just, and on TV, you can do this. I think, you know, they're purists say, oh, you've got to call every play. And I get that. But occasionally a story is going to spill over, especially in a blowout, you know? Um, and that's how things are changing. For me, it's understanding, again, the rhythm and the pattern of sports. You know, volleyball is different than wrestling, and it's different than track and field, and it's different than swimming. Everybody, it, it, they have their patterns and their paces, and you have to have the understanding of when's the important time I can tell a story, and when's the time do I have to focus and document the action? Um, I tell people all the time, I've been fortunate to do curling the last handful of years. I did it in Sochi. Uh, we've done curling night in America, which has kind of become like a nice little Friday night, you know, fun thing on NBCSN. Yeah. And curling is curling is awesome for, for me. And it's taught me so much because, you know, there's so much time to lay out. And you need to, whoever thought of this is a genius. So if you haven't seen curling on TV at all the major competitions, all the players are mic'd. So you can hear their conversation. I always tell people, one of the reasons I think people watch it, they're intrigued by the sport. Either they're diehards and they know it, um, or they're trying to figure out what's going on. But the other thing I think that people have bought in is that it's like watching reality TV. It's like watching people do something. You can hear their conversations. Um, it's really cool because not only do you hear, you know, talk about strategy, but you kind of hear the uggs and o's and darns and worse that sometimes <laughs> might get leaped out. Um, but whether or not they speak English or not, it's still fascinating. People love watching people. And that sport is all about watching the reactions and listening in. And for me, it's really taught me even more that it's okay not to talk. You know, I think we get so caught up as broadcasters being like, Hey, I've got to fill this space. And, you know, I came from local TV with, which in a four minute sportscast, if I didn't talk for five seconds, somebody was like, are you okay? But now you, you want to do that. You want to let it breathe. You want to have that opportunity, you know, to kind of pick up on what's going on. So Doing all these sports, for me, I think has made me better because I understand, you know, kind of rhythms and patterns and when to and not to. And we still screw up and, and try to jam a story in when we shouldn't. But that's, you know, we're, we're always pushing the envelope and that's going to happen. And that's OK. You know, you just need to make sure that doesn't happen at like a really inappropriate time. <laughs> uh, how much do you say? What do you say? during a curling meet meet bout it's not a game what what do you call curling uh well the proper curling term for a big uh, event would be a bond spiel um but that was my at, next guess actually in a cur- yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i knew that was coming uh by the way the curling people are awesome it's such a cool sport please uh, check us out i think we're on friday nights again on nbc i said this winter that's a shameless plug hey but uh you're good it, it, you know it's uh no 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 it's 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 fun it's just 
it's uh you're talking about strategy, but you're you're kind of really it's a sport that you really let the show kind of do the work for you, and I think that's okay. You know, we all want to sound important and sound great, but it, that that more than anything else in the last say couple of years has just taught me a lot by just letting letting that letting that do the work. You know, and I, I've started to hear some people too kind of lay out more recently and some things I was watching even the last weekend, just announcers kind of letting it breathe. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. You know, um, it, it's just hard. Sometimes you get caught into that, that time and being able to kind of, you know, over chat a little bit, especially when the game is bad. I think it's okay to do that. Um, if you're trying to still, you know, weave in stories, but just here, if you've got, if you've got good sound, if you've got good crowd, um, it's okay to kind of let that let that go, you know. How's that moved over to? And let's if we can go back to wrestling and volleyball. Um, how much do you lay out in a wrestling meet um, and, and a wrestling match, and and just kind of let them go at it mm-hmm. on the mat? Let your color guy jump in and say what he sees, and then just kind of call takedowns, reversals, pins, and then I guess yeah. I mean that's if you, yeah, that's probably what I end up doing a lot in wrestling is just kind of is kind of, you know, allowing my analyst, whoever it's been kind of space to do stuff and then kind of working, um, working around them. You know, it's funny. A lot of times in basketball or football, you're working with the same person every time you do a show. So, you know, you might be a team for a school or a team for a network and you work with the same guy throughout the whole season. There was one year, like three years ago, well, I worked, I didn't work with the same person for like six weeks. And I did, I did, I worked with like 20 plus different analysts in the course of a year. So for me, you know, you normally have that pattern and rhythm, but for me, I've got to be able to really adapt to what the other person is doing. Because especially in a lot of secondary sports, they're not used to getting TV coverage where basketball, you know, there's some basketball or football analysts that are pros that you get, do a game with them. You know, they know when to lay out, they know when to stay out. They know, you know, just the rhythm and the pattern and when their time is and other ones are just learning. So you've really got to work with them and work hard to make them feel comfortable. And also, kind of work around how they're operating. So I'll talk with them. I'll give them hand signals, you know, I'll encourage them to you know, kind of do. So I might take a less is more approach on some of those things with letting them kind of get in there and be descriptive and then kind of cleaning up, you know, time and score and what's at stake kind of after the fact. How much ex- uh, explanation do you give to when you're doing Olympic sports in terms of balancing the fact that people are watching? And I mean, if you're if it's the Olympics, it's another thing. But if you're doing... Yeah. Something on Pac-12 Network. Uh, how much are you explaining? You know, the 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 girl in the different colored jersey is the libero, and this is why, based on yeah. somebody might not know, or you don't, and, and not wanting to insult the intelligence of the volleyball audience that is tuning in because it's volleyball. Yeah, you know, it's funny that that's changed too. Like in the early days of CSTV, they were like, "It's okay to do 101," you know, because we don't know who's doing that, and, and you do do some of that. I think now it's advanced to where, okay, we're doing 201, you know, where you can kind of, you can assume people know some things, 
and then they go from there. But it's funny. I was just talking to a Colorado volleyball coach the other day. He said he's been doing chalk talks all the time with fans. And he said at every single at every single one, somebody asked, "Why is there somebody wearing a different colored jersey?" So the libero <laughs> question, the libero question lives. But I, I think you're trying to find that balance and letting your analysts kind of you know do that work. And 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 the good ones are really good at being able to put it in a sense where it means something to say the volleyball experts, but it also can mean something to the newcomers where they can describe it in a way that has value for, for everybody. Uh, how much do you still listen back to your stuff and uh, what are you listening for when you do it? Um, I listen when I can, it's not every show, um, but I'm just kind of trying to listen for, you know, kind of um, pacing and patterns um, and description um, and just kind of, you know, validating, you know, what I said. And I might make a mental note of something that's gone, kind of gone on. But um, you like to feel like you've got confidence in that. But I still think it's important to kind of go over and look at things. Um, and sometimes I'll be like, ah, I could have done this a little bit better. I could have done that a little bit better. But um for the most part, I, I think that that's good value. I know some guys look at every single thing. I don't, I just, there's just no, not enough time um, for me, but I'll, I'll try to look at, at snippets of stuff um, when I can, or go back and be like, yeah, that was, I didn't handle that, that I didn't handle that. Well, what could we have done better there? A lot of times too, <clears throat> maybe after a show, you know, I'll be talking to producer and director and it might not be something that I said, it just might be something that kind of came up or we can talk about, okay, what, what can we do to get to that graphic better? Or how can we incorporate, incorporate that video better or that stat <clears throat> better? I'm not, I say this to people a lot and some people think I'm nuts. I'm not so much concerned with me first. I'm concerned about the show first. Like to me, the show is more important than my performance. My importance is, is important to the show, but the overall show means more to me than how I did, if that makes any sense. Sure. Um, because it's a collaboration of everything. And I think that comes from me not being, you know, a lot of guys were traditional radio guys that have gotten into TV, but I was a TV guy that got into doing, got back into doing more games. I think I go about looking at a game different than a radio play-by-play guy does. And by that, I mean radio play-by-play guy has grown up listening and focusing in on the game. And for me, I learned how to do what I do by focusing in on the show. And that's incorporating all the elements from, you know, what we roll ins and all that stuff and thinking about how all that translates into what we're doing in the game. Um, Where a lot of guys are, are, to me are, are just so focused on the game that other stuff comes in as secondary. And for me, I want to know like what we have so that if it comes up in the game, I can even be on talk back to producer and say, Hey, remember we've got this, that might be a good time for it where they'll kind of cue me as well. So, yeah, I was gonna say, how proactive do you get with that stuff as far as uh, wanting certain things here or there? And, uh, you know, I always tell you when I, I feel like when you first start doing television work, you don't want to say too much and kind of you want to let the producers produce and you want to let yourself call the game um, and not step on toes. Uh, but how active do you get 
wanting, I mean, knowing what you've gotten and thinking that things can be there and kind of, I don't know, being like the an assistant producer on the side because you're there yeah, and you want it, to go it, in a certain direction. That's a that's a that's a trust level too with okay. guys that you work with. Yeah. For me, I mean, I I think you know if I'm doing a basketball package with somebody I've worked with for four or five years, we're on the same wavelength, and he knows. You know, I can be like, hey, hey, how about this? You know, because, again, it's not like you're having in-depth conversations on TalkBack. But you can just – I can just be banging them and say, hey, remember we have this. This might be a good spot. And we might might flesh some of that out ahead of time. And, and, you know, really good producers, you don't have to tell because they're already ahead of you. They're already – they've already given it to you. Um, And I'm lucky to work with with a lot of those. But sometimes, too – and in the course of doing different things, like sometimes I'll work with like new producers and I'll just be like, Hey, I'm always real honest. I say, I'm, you know, don't be shy. I'll, I'll give you advice. Tell me what you want. If you don't want me to talk a lot, I won't. If you want me to talk a lot, I will. Um, and then sometimes you get lost in the event, you know, where you're so wrapped up. It's so good. that you're not even worried about Roland's because, because the action's so good. Um, so I think it's a, it's a balancing act, but I, I think it's good to be <clears throat> invested in that and kind of, you know, on a, on a show, just knowing what you have in the can that can add to the show, be it graphics, be it roll-ins, you know, some guys, I want to know everything we have. Like I, you know, always make sure. And, and like I said, most producers will guide you through everything. Sometimes they don't, but. I want to see everything, see what it is, know what we have um, in case we need it and where it fits best. Um, I guess uh, we, we mentioned the curling on Friday nights. Uh, where else can people find uh, Jason Knapp on their televisions? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's what my wife asks all the time to know where I'm at. So, no, I just, you know, there's a lot of things. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll do, see, I've got uh, Olympic sports duties throughout the winter for NBCSN. I think I'm doing some speed skating, some swimming, curling will come up. Uh, I'll do, you know, a laundry list of things for people like Pac-12. I'll do college hoops for CBS Sports Network and Masson and some other people. So we'll we'll see. It's all still kind of a work in progress right now. I've been fortunate that, you know, uh, a lot of people uh, are interested and will call. And, uh, you know, I like you said, I've been able to kind of um, – you know, ride the wave of being able to do a lot of things. And it's something that I embrace. I really do. Um, you know, I think I figured out I'm probably not going to be asked to call the Super Bowl, and that's okay. You know, I get to do a lot of cool things, and I really do. I really, I really enjoy it. You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I think this. I I want to branch off that real quick, too, and I'll, I'll let you go on this note because I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But when you mentioned being able to do all those things, uh, how do you get people to give you a chance to do some of that stuff too? And when you say, and maybe even, I mean, now I guess it, it, it's easy because you, you've built up a body of it, but early on, when you're going to somebody and saying, hey, I want to do water polo, and they say, well, have you ever done water polo? And you say, no. Um, and maybe that's more of a stretch, but how did you get those first cracks at those things to be able to, to expand your, your horizons broadcasting-wise? I think it's a trust level. You know, I mean, I, I just think it's a trust level. Someone has to take, you know, someone, sometimes, you know, it could be a break where they're like, hey, we need somebody. Let's put this guy on it and see how he does. 
Um, you know, when I first started doing stuff at CSTV back in the day, I mean, I, I didn't have wrestling tape. I didn't have, you know, tape. I just, somebody thought that I could do a good job. They needed somebody and they let me do it. Sure. And I think that that kind of, you know, being good and being ready and having the chance to take an opportunity, you know, and being ready for that opportunity is vital. Um, so, you know, now at this point, I, I guess I'm fortunate that people, you know, just have a trust level in me. And at some point they stopped asking, do you know how to do this sport? And just started saying, Hey, you're doing this, you know? Um, and, and that, that to me is a big, is a big thing. That's a trust level, but the, you see that on a lot of things, you know, I, I, uh, you know, um, I'm trying to think of, uh, somebody that, you know, uh, I'm sure say Terry Gannon, when he started doing figure skating, probably didn't have figure skating tape, you know, um, for NBCSN, yeah. but he's phenomenal at it. You know, I mean, he's a basketball guy and he's terrific on golf, but all of a sudden, you know, they put him on figure skating and he, you know, now they've paired him with, with, uh, Tara and Johnny and he's terrific. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it's, you know, but that's one of those things. I think a good broadcaster will, you know, kind of be able to understand figuring it out. And that's where I get back to worrying about the show more than worrying about the sport. Because if you do a good job on the show, you're going to do a good job overall. So I, I think that's really important is, is, you know, being, especially in TV, just making sure that you're on the page with, you know, on the same page with everybody <clears throat> on your show, because there are a lot of guys that do a great job on the game, but they did not do a good job on their show. If that makes any sense. Sure. And you can tell when you watch, you can, you can hear it when you watch sometimes like they may have had a great game, but their show was not good at all because they weren't on the same page as their crew. Jason Knapp, our guest on play by Playcast. Many thanks to Jason as well for, uh, for taking some time with us last week. Uh, we sat down last Thursday to record this and he was in Pasadena, um, getting ready to do some pac 12 work and took some time out of his morning uh, pretty early morning, actually, because we taped this in the morning, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, so generous enough to, to spend you know, a good 40, 45 minutes uh, with us uh, here on the podcast. A little bit different than what we've done in the past. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it personally because you know, I'm doing some wrestling this year. Uh, got a lot out of it just to hear about how he approaches those things. Uh, the curling stuff was really interesting just because of how we mentioned off the top how cultish that kind of stuff uh, is, um, but hey, I mentioned when when the Olympics were going on live that I wanted to get an Olympics broadcaster on Play by Playcast, just because I wanted to talk about uh, Olympic broadcasting, the niche broadcasting, the Olympic experience, all that stuff. Uh, so I'm glad that we got to kind of dive into some of that stuff with Jason too, and uh, just what it's like being in the village and what it's like being in the 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 hustle and bustle of the Olympics. So uh, really cool guest uh, having Jason Knapp here on the podcast. Uh, next week is Greg Brown from the Pittsburgh Pirates. We're going to dive into baseball, uh, full fall classic swing. Uh, World Series is going on right now, so uh, we're going to go to baseball. It's our second Major League Baseball guest. We had Joe Davis on um, from the Dodgers, but I, I believe off the top of my head, I think uh, Greg's our second um, Major League Baseball guy, and he's certainly our first uh, Major League Baseball radio guy, although Greg does radio and TV. But uh, Greg Brown from the Pittsburgh Pirates will be our guest next week and then tonight if you're listening to this podcast on time I am trying to set up a meeting we'll see if our schedules jive obviously I'm driving home from Ypsilanti 
after our volleyball game today, so I'm not quite sure what time I'll be back in Indy. But uh, trying to set up a, an in-person podcast guest interview for uh, the week after next. So I don't want to tip my cap in case it doesn't work out. Um, but uh, another good another good podcast coming up in, uh, in two weeks as well. So a lot of good stuff coming up on the show. Always appreciate the listens. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please do tell a friend. Please do pass on the word uh, to help spread the podcast, grow the podcast, um, and then you know make the podcast bigger, better uh, as we go forward as well. If you enjoy it and if you get something out of it and uh, if it's been helpful to you, hopefully it can be helpful. It's been helpful to me. Hopefully it can be helpful to to other people out there as well. Uh, I'm going to stop rambling because I'm I'm driving. And uh, as much as I say this is safe, it's probably not. Um, Adele hit it. (laughs) The music's rolling. We'll talk to you next week. This is Play by Playcast on iTunes and Stitcher. We'll see you next week. I'm going to go, 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 I'